2: Hello everyone, welcome back to his Live from our Brangaroo Studios. You have tuned in to the call. Ten stocks picked by you. I put those stocks to our two experts. On the expert panel, we do it all in one hour. Fast and furious, very informative. Uh, today's team, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Luke, g'day to you. Surviving earnings season.
3: Yeah, it's the best way to describe it, Koshi. It's, it's just volatile both ways. Um, you know, nothing, nothing wants to come out with a result and and you know, be up or down one percent. It's it's five, ten percent swings, but that's um, no, the the fun of it all. I know it's uh, catching a few surprises coming out
2: in the trends. We'll talk about that shortly. Mark Morland from Team Invest. How are you, sir? Excellent. You don't get caught up in the earnings season very much, do you? No. Not yeah. for
1: members. Yeah, yeah. No, no. We're interested in the companies we like. That's all. Yeah. And generally speaking, it's been track. it's been very positive. Yeah, yeah. So we've had we've had very few. Uh, companies that we like that haven't come out with good reports.
2: Isn't that good? It's okay, good.
1: It's good. All right, let's take a look
2: at the uh, stocks we're going to take a look at in uh, in this half hour. We're going to run our eye over Paladin Energy, Magellan, but their global fund, uh, the Charter Hall, Long Whale, Reit, Zimplatz and Perpetual Stock of the Day. Plenty of, uh, of fodder today because of earnings season. Thought we'd take a look at Center Group. Uh, Center Group has reaffirmed full year guidance as its uh, shopping malls continue to show resilience despite rising cost of living pressures, higher interest rates. This as opposed to a 69% drop in first half net profit while funds from operations were higher in the six month period. Our retail property owners are facing headwinds amid a rapid escalation in interest rates. which is uh, starting to take a bit of a toll on consumers. Official data shows retail sales volumes fallen for three quarters in a row, first time since GFC. Still shareholders will see an increase to full year dividends. Company forecasting minimum annual distribution, six and a half cents. Up at least uh, 4.8% on the prior year. Interesting. Citigroup has come out and said that uh, uh, Center Group beat guidance, um, and they're they're pretty positive and um, going forward. And um, uh, even though investors remain a bit cautious. So let's get to the bottom of the result. Elliot Rousineau, the Chief Executive of Centre, joins us now. Um, Elliot, thanks for your time. What, what should the markets be taking out of this result?
0: Well, thank you, David, for having me. <clears throat> I think the uh, key um, thing to take out of the result is that our strategy of giving people a reason to come Uh, having more people come spend more time with us and come again and again uh, competing for people's time is actually generating a lot of economic activity for the businesses that partner with us. Um, And so for the year to date, we've had 314 million customer visits. It's up 9.8% on the uh, same period last year in 2022 Uh, to 30 June, our business partners have generated $27.8 billion of sales which is $4.1 billion more than the same period last year in that six month period, uh, and well over three and a half billion dollars more than the same period in 2019 pre-pandemic. So the and that's a record level of business activity that's being generated by our business partners. In turn, that's driven demand for space to increase. We're now at ninety nine percent occupancy. We completed fifteen hundred and sixty seven leasing deals in the six month period. Uh, Rents escalated on average eight point one percent. Leasing spreads on new leases were up two point six percent. Wow! And all of that has led to a ten percent increase in net operating income for our security holders, which has led to bottom line earnings growth of one and a half percent. And guiding for the full year, this half year result that I'm talking about. We're guiding for a four-year growth of between three point six and five point nine percent at the bottom line, and distributions to be sixteen and a half cents, which we're, uh, would be an equivalent rise for the okay. for the four year.
2: And um, so, have the markets got? the retail sector wrong because um, all retailers have been absolutely smashed in terms of their share price over the last six months. Uh, Groups like yours as a result of that saying, gee, you're going to face headwinds because your tenants are going to be doing it tough. Um, And this earnings season, um, retailers have shot the lights out, the good ones.
0: Well, I think the reality is that the volume of activity that's occurring, uh, certainly in our destinations, remains at record levels. Um, The uh, other part to it all is that margins are actually quite strong for the businesses that operate with us. Uh, This time last year, if you recall, um, companies were facing labour cost issues, uh, supply chain issues. All of that has, uh, ha- has almost evaporated in this past six months, and uh, supply chain uh, is now a tailwind for many businesses. Uh, labor cost pressures aren't as, um, aren't as acute as what um, people might have thought this time last year, and so uh, volume activity remains very strong. Profit margins remain very high for the businesses that operate with us, and that is leading to a lot of demand for space, particularly with us because we're driving more and more people to come to our destinations.
2: Tell us about the property revaluations, the the downgrade in revaluations, three hundred ninety two and a half million dollars worth.
0: So, as part of the accounting rules for what we do as a REIT, uh, we have to independently value uh, the assets on our balance sheet. Uh, that is the opinion of uh, effectively an independent property valuer. Our focus as a business however is actually on driving cash flow and cash flow from rent uh, for the first six months of this year was 1.3 billion it's 82 million dollars more than the six months of last year it actually represents 103 percent of billings and so what we're seeing is not only are we collecting all the rent we're charging, which is higher than last year, but we're actually collecting the rent that was owed to us from previous years. And so the net debtor, um, which is you know, almost a uh, barometer of the health of the uh, businesses that take space with us, has dropped um, from... I think around 150 million this time last year. The 40 48 million uh, at 30 June. So uh, people are paying, and they're paying what they owed us from pre- previous periods.
1: Uh,
2: so what was the explanation from the valuers, the independent valuers, that they were devaluing the portfolio 390 mil? Well,
0: you probably have to ask the independent valuers the the why. I can give you the mechanics. The uh capitalization rate that the valuers apply to the portfolio of assets and uh, we're not unique in in this in terms of no. the retail uh, property sector uh, was up on average I think around 25 basis points. Right. Uh, but actually mathematically the, uh, volu- the value of the decline that the independent valuer has ascribed is actually a lot less than what the movement in that capitalization would imply because the net operating income that's being generated from what we um, operate is actually higher um, than what the valuers right. have been assuming.
2: So so cap rates have changed because of higher interest rates, and this is a flow through on it. Uh, a lot of people saying interest rates have peaked um, uh, so that those cap rates shouldn't change from now on.
0: Again, these are independent valuers, so it's very difficult to say what the independent valuer will do. Uh, the other difficulty has been has been a lack of uh, transactional activity in the direct property sector. What we do, however, is just focus on cash flow. And the way we generate cash flow is to have more people come. Yep. And so that is our first, second, and third priority is to have more people come more often and for longer because that generates demand for our retail space, which generates more rent and income for our security holders. Okay. Uh, Elliot,
2: the um, uh, the analysts have given it the thumbs up, particularly uh, from Citi. Uh, appreciate your time on explaining the result today.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for
2: joining. Elliot Ruzano, the uh, the boss of Centre Group, which uh, of course are all the Australian Westfield shopping centres. Mm. Uh, Mark, what do you take out of that?
1: Uh, it's actually, I thought it was a very strong report yeah. All things considered, yep. uh, the things that were interesting to me were the uh, the fact, though, that the actual percentage of uh, sales for their specialty stores, so it's not carrying their uh, anchor tenants, Yeah, uh, is 16% now where it was um, 18%. So in other words, the occupancy effective occupancy cost has gone down 2% right. at the same time that they've actually increased mm-hmm. how much uh, they're earning, which says that goes to the increase in sales. Yep. So sales have gone up for those retailers uh, by 21% for the same period. Uh, it's a bit bad. Using 22 as a comparison period is not ideal, though, yeah, is yeah, it? Because, because it was coming off COVID. Still an I would have rather, year, I, I'd well, rather uh, looked at it, look at those things compared to a 19 pre-COVID. Yeah. It'd be more instructive. Yeah, yeah. So I'd, I, I would have asked that, you know. To yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, the the problem is this is a um, a quite a, a complex mature business and they're running at 99.6% occupancy and so on. So if you look at it, you'd say, well, can this business grow? And apart from opening new shopping centres, which is limited, you yeah. know, they've got a couple of thing, couple happening. Um, it's, it's a mature business and our rents in Australia are right up there in the world, by world standards. So I wonder whether they're shifting the relationship between fixed rent and share of sales or share right. of, uh, up. Because yeah. from a retailer's point of view, I would rather have more variable Cost. Yeah. Yeah, so if I'm doing well, you do well. Yes. And if I'm doing not as well, you don't do as well either. Whereas yeah. now Westfield have always liked, you mm-hmm. know, or uh, Group, obviously want to get as much as they can committed. Right. But I would suspect there's been a shift in that. Okay. And that'd be a good thing, probably. yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, overall, it's really good. I mean, the problem as a business, though, their return over the last 10 years has averaged 2.28% per year. Yeah. Right. And that's because the capital price of the shares have gone down. So that's been negative 3% a year. And then they've had an average. Four point four eight percent dividend, fifty eight percent franked. Right. So the net result, if you're if you've been a shareholder for the last ten years, is pretty mediocre. Right. You know, it's like just above inflation. So, so it, not not for you. Well, no, because it's, it's it's not. It's, I mean, it's it's a it, it's a well run business, but it's just the the, the economics of it are. Uh, I can't see where how they're going to improve that right. a lot. Okay. Where this would get up to be at least ten percent, which with interest rates now at five, you can get five for cash. Yeah. So yeah, unless yeah. unless Centre Group start increase earning more. Uh, they're actually earning less than the cash rate.
2: Yep, uh, Luke, what do you think about?
3: Um, I thought it was a good result and a, and a good interview there, Koshio. I, I like the focus on the cash flow in the business. I think sometimes we can get bogged down too much into the valuations of these assets. And, and to me, unless you're talking about a private property fund where they control you know, the valuation of those businesses and the entry and exit price that you get as an investor, um, it's pretty irrelevant as, as public investors. I mean, you pay whatever the market's valuation is today and, and center, like a lot of REITs currently, trades at a decent discount to that NTA, yeah. which is the market way of saying that those cap rates probably should be a little bit higher but nonetheless you know they're, they're going the right way um, I think I thought he was very spend- di- very diplomatic on that you'll
2: need, yeah. need, need to yeah. ask the valuers oh, how no, did they no. explain <laughs> it?
3: and of course there's a, a great scene in the big short where the uh, you know the, the ratings agencies and, and what they did for the triple A bonds over there you know it's, uh, it's something sometimes get pushed under the rug or just ignored yeah. a little bit yeah. uh, but anyway um, look, for the things they can control in this result, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, as he highlights, the the, the strength of the underlying um, business partners, as they call them, the, the customers, is really strong. Nine percent retail sales growth. And that sort of goes, you know, in line with the commentary we're seeing from the retailers so far. There's There's been a couple that have struggled. Like Adairs was out the other day, which is pretty weak. But, you know, Premier Investments was out. Um, uh, JB Hi-Fi, some of the, uh, the, the the supermarkets guys, they're all reporting the same thing, which is the consumer just is much more resilient than what I think what anyone would have expected them to be. So you see that reflected in this result from center. Um, you know, I, I think Mark's spot on, though. You look forward. It's hard to see where, you know, really strong growth comes from with the business. I think at a um, shopping center level, they're probably maxed out. They'll keep refurbing and refreshing and, you know, um, driving the, as um, Elliot, pointed out the, the entertainment value of the precincts that they're creating and, and, and driving some value in that way. But um, I think it, this is a stock you probably look at it from a, a distribution yield point of view. Right now it's about 6%. I think that's an okay yield. You could probably hold it if you're there. I think it's it's doing well in the current environment. Um, you know, But it's, it's sort of not a – it wouldn't excite me too much and you can probably actually have better yields out there in, in the REIT mm. space um, you know, potentially without that sort of retail better exposure. Retail. We still have questions there. So look, I'd say it's a hold for the program. Um yep. but yeah, I thought it was a good interview and, and good points yep. raised by Marcus. Right. Well.
1: well you can get I mean, just adding to that, you can get far better yields just in the retailer in their clients. Oh, you know, right. like Nick Scarly, JB High Fine, so on, way right. better. Right. Yeah, you know, they're ten percent. So you'd rather go oh, no, for the no, retailer no, no, than question. the no, shopping no question. generator. No question. Okay.
2: All right, let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And Luke, Rita wants a view on Paladin Energy, the big uranium miner and uh, exploration company. Uh, got project in Namibia, one in Queens, there, one in Western Australia got stake in one in Canada. Um, are you a fan of the uranium theme that's going through? Everyone's saying if you want to reduce carbon emissions, and hydrocarbons, we're going to have to get into uranium at some time.
3: Yeah, I, I actually don't disagree with that too much. I think the biggest impediment to that will be the political will. Um, but yes, uranium is very much a, a true believer type commodity. Yep. Um, it's been that <laughs> way for a very long time. Um, and it all stems back from that that uranium bull market, um, you know, uh, more than a decade ago where I think people have been waiting for not the return of those heyday, but there's obviously a big supply-demand mismatch. But of course, that's the the, dy- the dynamics that are at play here. Um, I, I did flick open the the diggers and dealers presentation that Paladin had um, last week. I think it was, um, and of course, they highlight that 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 mismatch between supply and demand and how that's extrapolated over the next decade and you know the the, the big gap that will inevitably come into that market. But of course paladin themselves are the perfect example of why supply and demand always find an equilibrium mm. um you know their, their minds have been in care and maintenance they're bringing them back online aiming to do it the first quarter of 2024 um and of course the mm. you know the, the big ones bhp and olympic dam um you know the biggest uranium resource i think globally um you know i'm not sure the startup time with that but again i, I just i had this feeling that Even if uranium prices start to move and they become economically much more attractive for these miners, um, there is a lot of supply that can come on relatively quickly, given it's been on pause for a while. Um, That being said, I think if you are someone who wants that uranium play, which is not typically, it's not me, it's not my style, but... Paladin is the best way to play it. They are the, the the best position to to get supply onto the market quickly and take advantage of any you know strength you see in the spot price or um, long term contracts. They're able to um, to go. Uh, to, to lock in with um, with these um, utilities, so I would prefer Paladin over going down to a junior uranium or an explorer. Um, but nonetheless, it's not really my style. Right. But I'll say a hold for the program okay. just because I know that it's one of those ones where you know my opinion won't influence the the true believers.
2: Yeah, yeah. Paladin or Boss seem to be the uh, be the favourites in the market. Yeah. Mark and, yeah. and Luke's quite right. Um, what we're classed, have been dubbed the Saudi Arabia of uranium. Yes, you know, it's a pity we don't like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, BHP's just got to push the button on Olympic Dam and will yeah. blow
1: supply and Well, there's all the Northern territory ones as well that have been mothballed yes. and stuff. Yeah. And, that, and there's several problems with this. I mean, one is I'm very pro-uranium. And, yeah. I, and I believe the, yeah. oh, the whole green argument, if you're serious about it, there's no choice but to go down yeah. uh, modular nuclear power plants like, uh, I think, Canada, England, some half of Europe, US, yeah. <laughs> everybody except us. Right. So we seem to be the dumb ones in the scenario. But the problem is. Um, it's There's too many ifs. There's um, if the uh, demand goes up, if the price of uranium is high enough that they can make a profit. Because even though they can bring supply on very quickly, as you said, there's BHP, there's heaps of others. Yeah. So there's going to be lots of competition. Yep. So there's, no, there's nothing to n- know with any confidence that the uranium price, assuming the demand uh, keeps going up, which it probably will, yep. uh, will actually be enough for them to make money. So it's been losing money for the last decade. Uh, the, if you look at the total return over the last 10 years, it's actually been an average of uh two point nine seven percent per year and that's all been in PE or no PE in, in share price. Right. Yeah. You know, right. There's no basis to it other than hope. Right. So it's been a long time between dreams. That's a story. Yes, that's a story. And, and look the, the story's price. probably a little bit better than it was, but it's like I I don't see how you could even consider this as an investment. It's purely a speculation if you want to have a punt on uranium. And I think there's better things to speculate on. Okay.
2: All right. Is Magellan Global Fund a better thing to speculate on, Mark? No. Uh, Peter wants a view on that. Now, we're not talking about the the, the mothership, uh, Magellan, who um, uh, uh, gets all the management fees from the funds. We're talking about one of its actual funds, the uh, Magellan Global Fund.
1: Uh, yes, well, I've never looked at it in detail. It's it's only been listed for two years, yep. so well, its return, its performance for the first two years has been woeful right. um, as it, from an investor point of view, because their whole idea is. They're invested in good names uh right. in the us you know uh, uh major us tech companies and so on yeah so in in over time it's probably going to be fine but the return on equity last year was negative 14 percent, which basically means I lost 14 yeah. uh, percent on the portfolio but i've only there's only two years so there's no history right. we actually don't invest in funds right.
2: so, so had a big comeback though hasn't it? off the lows yeah
1: okay we're well, still in you're still underwater if you right. uh if you if you bought it initially yes but i don't uh, as I said, we wouldn't invest in a fund because we invest in direct equities. Yeah. Okay. So I, I would have considered I'd consider investing in Magellan before I'd consider investing in this. Because oh, okay. the Magellan at least you're in the mothership that actually owns the funds. Yes. And Magellan yeah. gets a virtually guaranteed return from this one because it's got a market cap I think of two and a half billion or something, two yeah, two point five billion. That money's locked. It's a closed end and fund.
2: Share price goes up and price. the share price so goes up and down.
1: Up. Magellan gets their whatever they're charging to run it and everything, Your they admin guarantee fee gets forever. Bigger. Yep. Guaranteed until they shut it. Okay. It's not hot money. Yeah. That money's locked in. Yep. Now, if, if, it, if, they, if it keeps, if it performs badly over the next five years, the share price will keep going down because, yep. obviously, people will want to sell out. Or, and if it does, it will go up. But, yep. but Magellan gets paid regardless. OK. Uh,
3: Luke? Um, I agree with that point. I think I would rather Magellan than this vehicle. It was actually stock of the day when I was on last Friday, Koshi, um, yep. on a, on the back of a good report. Um, yep. You know, the, the market rewarded it quite well, um, and I thought that was actually a lot to like. Maybe the maybe the bounce is a little bit overdone. I think I said hold on the day, but I could certainly see why people are interested and and you know a little bit cheaper. It, it'd be interesting to me. Um, as you say, this is the closed ended fund. The biggest issue they have is once they're closed ended, you, you're at the mercy of that discount to the NTA should you want to exit and. Right now, I think that that um, NTA is about $1.90 and it trades at $1.74. I think I just checked. Um, so you've got a bit of a discount there if you, you know, needed to exit for whatever reason. Or alternatively, if you were looking to buy, then you get a, a nice discount on, on the underlying assets, though of course it's hard to then realize that that discount over time. Um you know, as far as what they own, it's U.S. mega cap um, and some some global um, large European stuff in there. It's it's quite low risk. The management fee's not crazy. Um, yeah, but I, I as as I agree with Mark. I'm not someone who owns funds themselves, and and to be honest, I'd probably prefer the um, the listed uh, manager, the the, the okay. Magellan selves.
2: Uh, look, Bill wants a view on the Charter Hall Long Whale. REIT. Whale stands for weighted average lease expiry, is it? I've, forgot, I've forgotten what the E is. Um, yes, sorry. <laughs> but but uh, it's, again, another wreath um, to uh, big tenants like government and Telstra on long-term leases. Uh, um, still at a discount, even though a lot of people say um, this would always be a safe bet in a downturn.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you think of a, a long lease expiry being quite defensive mm. from that point of view and they, they lock in long term tenants. But of course, the one environment where a long term lease expiry becomes a problem is in a volatile interest rate environment. Um, you know, these guys have 11 year leases in place and um, half of them are on fixed um, rent increases of just 3% a year. Um, and of course their their debts um, that they have backing um, those businesses only have a 4.5 year um, you know weighted weighted um, life over the debt so you get a bit of a timing mismatch where this debt will roll over before the, the you know the, the weighting of the leases and the chart sort of reflects that um, it'll be an interesting time over the next few years and the balance sheet will have to be managed quite carefully and you know some some negotiations going on with these long-term tenants um, so it's not entirely surprising to see that chart there. It. it does look like it's a bit overdone though. Um, you know, you have a quick look, it's a um, 8% yield. We were just talking about Center Group before with their retail exposure at a 6% yield. So you're getting that stronger yield. I think the risk you're taking is just in that short term, like I said, that that timing mismatch between the cost of debt versus being able to pass that on through your um, your longer leases you would have than your average REIT. Nonetheless, I think you back someone like Charter Hall and, and these guys have been doing it for quite a long time. And and, and like I said, Koshi, they're tenants they're those anchor tenants that you want to have. It's just about making sure you have the right environment in place through this inflation and interest rate um, volatile period. Um, so this is more interesting to me than Centre. Um, I'm probably not rushing to buy it straight away. You, you might want to just, you know, let things settle for a little bit. And you made the comment before we're at the peak of interest rates. I think that's correct. Maybe let's just see a couple more inflation numbers and see how the RBA goes in next couple of meetings. But if you're correct, and I think the market does agree, then we're probably starting to see the bottom for something like a charter hall and that yield looks interesting. But for now, I, I will say a hold. Okay. Mark? Um,
1: yes, uh, I think um, uh, not very exciting. No, no.
2: <laughs> but but a lot of people would regard... Um, this is sort of that defensive foundation that you might have. Yeah, but two the, pro- or three the, the problem with that, that, though, is that the, wash.
1: The, not really, because right. if, if you're not getting the return over time, okay, your money's not you're not losing your money. No. But unless it's under inflation, if it's running under the inflation level, you're actually going you're going backwards. So if yeah. you look at Charter Hall, it's only been listed for seven years. Um, capital gains average since listing is negative two point six three per year, and the dividend average is five point eight nine, right. uh, which is okay if yep. the capital wasn't going down. Yep. So net, you're talking 3.96 and there's no franking credits. Right. You know, so okay. so that, it's, just, it's, it's just not very good. And the other problem is, it's one of the things that Elliot said in the center group, one was the, uh, there's been no price discovery as in there hasn't been any transactions. You know, very few transactions. So what do valuers do when they value properties? They look at what other sales have been made and that sets the price. And it's all, the prices are set on the margin. Right. So if you had one shopping center sold at 50% discount that would be like the new the new price. They wouldn't go straight to fifty, but it would drag it down a lot. And the problem with and the with REITs, shopping
2: centre owners sort of all
1: almost chat and go, "Geez, we don't want to sell." <laughs>
2: no, but you gotta, we gonna, don't want to sell one in
1: this environment. No, and, that, and that's why they're not. That's why crash. they're not making any transactions. Right now, Centre yeah, yeah, Group, no, Centre no, no, Group, and um, and same with um, uh, Charter Hall. You know, they don't have to sell anything. Right, but. If the interest rates stay up for a long time, the discount rate, and he mentioned it even though he was deferring to the valuers, Yes. if the discount rate stays up, the values of the properties come down. And there's an argument to say that there's still plenty of uh, potential for that to be a lot worse than what it is now, right. but you need the price discovery. So what you have is at the margin, somebody has to sell. Yep. And then it brings everybody's valuations now, but you've got to remember these guys a big part of their profitability is the revaluations up. Yes. So if the revaluations are going down, it magnifies the uh, the demise of profitability, even though yeah. it's not operational earnings because of, the, of their accounting. That's right. Yeah. Now, one of the things Centre Group, just because talking about them comparatively, they have managed to secure and hedge their interest rates at an average, of, I think, 2.3 or something, right. which is really good. Yeah. So I don't know how long that goes for. Right. There's a point in time where. They'll have to refinance at a higher rate, and that'll end hit earnings as well. Right. If right. interest rates are still up, so yep. to me, there's a pretty big <clears> headwind still on uh, okay. on REITs generally. So still uncertain. No, and I think Goodman's probably the. If you wanted to pick one, you know, the good thing about Goodman's all industrial, and the industrial sector is the strongest part. Right. And they're not suffering at all, but retail office is the worst. Yeah. And Goodman. Do develop as That's well, right. don't That's right. they?
2: Yep. So they expand their portfolio, yeah.
1: and it's the best of all of them. If you, if right. you, uh, if you look at okay. it, okay. Yeah. All right, not for you. No. All
2: right, uh, our next stock, uh, Richard wants a view, Mark on Zimplats Holdings, uh, one of the big mining companies in Zimbabwe, um, um, mining and production of the platinum group of metals, palladium, rhodium. Really, all that sort of bit of copper, nickel, cobalt, silver—big
1: company. It is. Its uh, market cap's is about. Uh, oops, where are we going? So, market cap is about uh, two point seven billion. Ah. I used to be a shareholder in this pre-team invest. Oh. Ah. You know, way back, and it never did anything, and the and the, it was flat for a very long time and on a storage you know it was always going it was always cheap and it was always about to be really good but never did i got i got i gave up um now i had a look at what it's done and basically it's done nothing up until um, to in, from an earnings point of view, to 218, and then its earnings have really jumped up significantly, including sales, which is great. Right. So the total return um, for the last decade has been 15.64, and most of that's been in the last four years. Right. So okay. it's probably been higher than that. You know, probably 30% a year if you bought it before it started yeah. taking off. So if we just look at the numbers, uh, return on equity is 17, which is good. It's on a 5.5 PE. Which mm. is really cheap. Yeah, really But it's in Zimbabwe. Right. So you've got political risk as well. Oh. You have. And, yeah. it, in, and by the way, at 5.5, that's in the top quartile of its PE range. Oh. So the bottom quartile is four. Oh, so okay. it's been trading on a low PE for a long time. Now, what it does do, though, is it, t- it means that you should get either a, a, um, a good dividend or a ratio if they're, if they're paying out a good dividend ratio. So look, power ratio is 69%, 12.7% yield. Oh. Okay. So twelve okay. wouldn't mean no frankie credits because it be, yeah, yeah. uh, would be it's overseas. Uh And because it's on such a hot low PE, we're showing a return if it continues doing what it's doing now, and the the uh, platinum metals group is strong. Yeah. Uh, pretty strong. Yep. Yeah. So it's stable. It's called yep. stable. Oh, yeah. um, is we're showing it uh, returning. Um, Eighteen percent per year on a margin of safety and one hundred percent a year on default. Oh my god! So, so because it's so cheap. That's impressive. So cheap. Yeah, yeah. But we wouldn't do it because it's the you know the perceived sovereign risk, of, risk sovereign risk and the fact that it's still a commodity based business. But it's a commodity based business that's very cheap, which right. means it gives you a fair bit of a headroom. Hmm. So if you're looking for something a bit more, I'll say speculative. It's not really speculative. Uh, exotic. Exotic. <laughs> Good one, good one, Koshi. Um, it's very, very cheap, and there's nothing in in I can see on CI that would be alarming. Okay,
2: all right, but so a no from you
1: um, on Zim. Well, no from a team invest perspective, right? right. But if but if you, for our portfolio, if if we're talking about that, yeah, yeah, uh, it's a it would be a reasonable addition because it's got very okay. good ratios of upside all compared right. to downside. Okay, so spec. Yes, buy. yeah, I'd say for yes, it's a buy, but not okay. for team invest. All right. Uh, Luke, what do you reckon?
3: I, I actually agree with all that, um, even down to the term exotic rather than speculative, because it's not a speculative <laughs> no, not business. Speaking. I mean, as Mark points out, <laughs> three billion, um, you know, production's going the right way, generates a ton of cash, pays a good dividend. Um, it trades on such a very low valuation on the ASX in particular, because it's 87% owned by a um, South African company. So you have a, a, a tiny, tiny free float available on the ASX and, um, you know, put some sovereign risk around that. And, and that's why most people don't want to touch it. But as Mark points out, that valuation creates very little downside and a very, very strong yield. Um, that will move based on, you know, production and pricing and things like that. It is it is a commodity business, but, you know, I, I look at it compared to, to, to others and, and, you know, I, I, I fully agree with that point. It's not speculative in that sense, but exotic's a good word. And, yeah, um, I, I guess from that point, I, it's an exotic buy. An exotic <laughs> it's buy. The, it's the best way to describe it, Okay. I think, All uh, right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the first time we've it ever is, had that, that, an exotic I think, buy. I think this is a
1: new category for AusBiz. Yep. It's an exotic buy. Exotic buy. buy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well done, uh,
2: What's a, the other one? Um, West Africa Resources. Oh. Uh, there are quite a lot with... Sort of exotic locations, yes. mining companies, yeah. are they? Yeah. But this is a huge company. Yes. Um, uh, this is sort of BHP huge, both in yeah. Zimbabwe. Yeah. All right. Um, now, Luke, Kara wants a view on perpetual. Both you and Mark said earlier, you would not uh, invest in uh, listed funds, always the manager. Um, like Magellan rather than Magellan Global. Perpetual, of course, as a manager with a lot of different levels. Uh, Cara says, is it a buyer current levels? What do you think of Perpetual? It's gone through, it's a very old company, but has gone through a bit of restructuring and
3: acquisitions over the last couple of years. Yeah, made the big acquisition of Pendle. Yes. Um, and normally when I see stuff like that, I, I, I just I like to give it time. It's been about six months. Um, the recent fourth quarter update, uh, you know, management sort of said things were going okay. But even in that update, um, you know, they, they sort of said that the the costs will be at the higher end of the guidance they would originally given. And synergies might take a little bit longer. There was a, a cyber security incident as well or, mm. or an IT incident. Um, so... It's actually uh, to compare it back to Magellan's a good point, Koshy. So Magellan, the reason why I thought that was interesting the other day is I thought that business was signalling they're coming out of that process. Right. They've been through that that you know that year of hell. Um, the new chair had come in, taken over the investment committee. You know, um, refreshed a lot of that investment team and the executive team. Um, and the result last week. Um, you know, when David George stepping back from the chief investment officer, paying a special dividend, to me, signaled, I I think, management and the board look at Magellan and think we're past that big restructure phase. And now, obviously, you know, uh, hopefully that farm is is stabilised and the business can get back to growth. I think Perpetual slash Pendle, it's not as bad as what Magellan was, obviously, with the the outflows that those guys saw. But I think they're still in the middle of that teething and that restructuring of trying to combine these two big businesses and Inevitably, one plus one very rarely equals two with businesses like this. There's, you know, we, we work in the space, there's egos involved and, mm-hmm. um, you know, different, different people behind the scenes. So I would give this one time. I could see why you're interested, though. It screens, you know, quite cheaply, um, you know, for, for the valuation, the balance sheet, and what should be the earnings capacity. Um, but I'd just, I'd just be on the sideline. Look, I actually would hold it if you're there. If you have a position, don't, don't go and sell it. But if you're on the sidelines, I'd probably just stay there and give them another maybe six or nine months just to, hmm. to, to really see how this big um, merger slash acquisition comes together.
1: Okay. Mark? Uh, it's been a very ordinary performer uh, for a long time.
2: Even uh, before the
1: acquisition? Yeah, yeah, before the acquisition. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the last, if you look at the earnings... Uh, the earnings growth is average negative 6% per year over the last six years. So that's wow. a pretty long slide. So they, they were flat before uh, COVID, down through, pre-COVID actually, or t- down, down from 18 to 20, flat, and then turned down again in the last uh, year a bit further. Right. So with high stability.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh. So they're, they're, they're
1: very stable at not doing well.
2: Right.
1: Okay. Okay. I'd right. prefer something where it's it's where they they've made changes like Magellan right. has now, for say, and yeah. you, know, you can say well now there's a lot more upside. But let's not compare it with Magellan because Magellan's in a bit of a special situation sure. in, in that. But would Pendle turn it around? It, who knows. Right. Um, it's only got 12% ROE. It's interesting, we, did, we actually did quite a lot of work on fund managers a few years ago. And what we, what we noticed was the, the ones that were founder-led, had you know, the founders yes. still there, and they were Magellan with Hamish Douglas and Keir um, uh, Plat- uh, Nelson with Platinum, yep. had a return on equities in both cases of 30 to 50%. Right. And then all the corporate fund managers right. uh, were way, way down. That's and if you look at, look at this one, they're 12%. Right. And why is that? Because much, much bigger overhead, because they seem to breed that way, versus the founder who's running a lean fund who then... And when the
2: founder leaves...
1: They get fat, yeah. Okay. Now Henderson's another one. I mean, yeah. Henderson Global, when uh, it did better when AMP sold it because the, you know, the 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 love embrace of AMP destroys every destroyed right. everything they ever touched. Right. So, yeah. uh, but still, that was massive overheads. You look at the staffing numbers yeah. compared to say at that stage with Magellan. Magellan had like two hundred people. Henderson's had two and a half thousand. Yeah. And yeah, it was yeah. a, and it wasn't it was it wasn't even twice as big. Yeah. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go near it. I think there's better there's better alternatives. Okay.
2: All right. Let's uh, recap the first five stocks. Center Group was our stock of the day um, after interviewing the uh, uh, the Managing Director. Uh, Luke has a hold on Center Group, a no from Mark. Paladin, uh, likewise, a hold from Luke, no from Mark. Uh, Magellan Global, a no from both, although they're leaning towards the... Mothership Magellan uh, coming off its lows. Uh, Charter Hall uh, Whale hold from Luca. No from Mark. Uh, both of them have, I think it's the first ever time on the call we've had an exotic buy uh, with zimplats from both Luke and Mark and perpetual a hold from uh, from Luke and a no from Mark. Uh, we usually tell you about the uh, fantasy investment fund. I'm going to skip that today. You know all about it. Go to the, the platform if you want to see the last investment committee meeting because um, having uh, Elliot Rousineau, uh, from Centron earlier has put us a bit behind. So let's steam on for our next five stocks in this half hour covering Block, Downer EDI, Sims, Ansel, and Telex Pharmaceuticals. Uh, Luke, Alf wants a view on uh, Block, which is the old square that gobbled up after pay. And uh, as a result has shares listed here in Australia.
3: Yeah, I flicked the result. You actually don't hear too much about Afterpay anymore. No. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the results there and the, particularly the price they paid, I, I, I dare say management doesn't want to bring too much attention to no. it. But um, well done to the Afterpay boys. They, yeah, they timed the Afterpay founders, um, beautiful time Yes, yes. Um, Look, I mean, it's it's an interesting business. Square, you know, they run their their Square terminals, which um, you know, anyone familiar with small business cafes has probably yeah. seen one or used one. Um, but the other interesting part about this business, and and why I could see, you know, what why people are interested, is their their Cash App that they run, which twenty percent of Americans use the the Cash App in in some some form or capacity. Sure. Um, so you know and, and in this in their latest report they showed good progress on monetizing that and driving gross margins but nonetheless like a lot of tech businesses you know they reported I think it was 130 million dollars in adjusted EBITDA for the quarter but of course a lot goes into that number and in particular share-based compensation like a you know like a lot of Silicon Valley, Valley companies uh, through the roof here and by the time you sort of back out all of the other costs that they exclude from those those metrics that they report, um, I came back to about twenty five million dollar profit for the quarter. So that's the one positive. It's not burning money, not burning cash, but it's a fifty billion dollar market cap here, which is the the problem. The the earnings just don't match up. Um, I would actually exit this one, Koshi. I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on in this business. Like I said, I could see why people are interested with that cash app, um, but the afterpay acquisition to me just shows some pretty poor capital discipline even like I said I went back and read a couple of reports I, I don't even understand the, the strategic rationale behind the acquisition mm. they don't even explain very well of how Afterpay's you know buy now pay later business even makes sense besides Square um, it just looks like they've tried to plug it in and, and it hasn't really done that well so I'd be exiting this one it's it's far too expensive for me um, and yeah even though there's mm. some things you can like it's just not enough yep. yeah not for me
1: I think um, uh, I, I totally agree with Luke, and and I think the when when they bought Afterpay at the time, I thought Afterpay shareholders were really lucky. Yeah, you know, that that to me that business had nowhere else to go but you know, down because yep. the yep. whole the whole model was very dubious. Well, curious. the
2: theme was because yeah. Square has all the merchants
1: yeah using their terminals. Afterpay would be a plug-in service. But the Afterpay business merchants. model, though, was sus. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was operating oh. outside regulation. That, that yes. had to end. I think yeah. Afterpay management did a brilliant job to sell it for the amount of money they did. Yeah. and Now, the trouble with Block is it's not even profitable mm. at the moment. So you've got this $50 billion yeah. company, and they're in a space that, even though they're a city player in the US there's plenty of competition hmm. um, it's not what they've got something particularly unique yep. there's competition all over the place and you've got Apple not to mention Apple and uh, all the major tech companies are, are all starting to play in the space as well yeah so no, I'd I think it's definitely a sell okay
2: all right something a bit more traditional though down at EDI is our next stock uh, thanks to Stefan um, basically it's a uh, mining infrastructure
1: services business isn't it uh mark what do you think yeah um down is we, we uh, it's a uh, you're right. It's mining and building infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. They do road stuff as well, and big, uh, 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 big, um, any sort of big construction type job. Yes. And tough area because you big contracts, big money. You get it wrong, you lose a lot of money. Yeah. And they've gone, they've gone through all sorts of problems over the yeah. years. We've looked it down and off and on for a long time. It used to have fairly stable earnings. Uh, last six years been negative average 23% a year. So it's, yeah. it's like it's up, down, down, up, down, down. You know, so it's all down. Return on equity is now 0.1 uh, negative. So it's losing money now. Yeah. It's, just, it's just been a real dog of a, of a company. Uh, See, I, it, to me, it seems as though if you get it wrong on these projects, you lose
2: a lot of money. You and you it takes it, years to come back. Yeah, but if you get it right... We have a good year. A, well, yeah, but it's <laughs> not equivalent. Good, no. to the bad of getting it wrong. You, no, you remember right. the risk reward ratio seems a bit out.
1: And they've also know? got high debt. It's ninety eight percent debt to equity, so no, they're carrying no, a lot no. of debt as well. And, that, and we're in an environment now where debts all being re rated yep. up, which means yep. their costs are going to go up. All of that significant tail uh, yep. headwind, rather. Uh, net profit margin is negative at the moment. So, or net, yeah, net profit margin one point seven percent. Okay, one percent. So it's yep. a definitely it uh, no, zero interest lost. Two million last year, so small loss. Okay,
3: Lou. Um, I agree with that. It was interesting the the, the one year chart that you flashed up. It, it showed that you know they had some issues late last year, and then in the February report missed and was hit quite heavily both times. And then, you know, the yeah. market post February got quite a you know quite a bit excited about Downer, and um, I know that particularly from a media point of view there was. You know, the right things have been said by the new management team about the turnaround that had to take place and, um, you know, reviewing the, the assets that they hold and things like that. But when you look at the result that came out, um, it was earlier in the month now, uh, you know, there's progress, I suppose, being made, but I'm, I'm just not quite sure I saw a fantastic underlying business, you know, underneath it all to suggest that when things were tidied up, that you'd have a, you know, as, as Mark puts out, a, a, a business that, generates decent margins good returns on equity and capital and, and has a good balance sheet um you know I, 18 times earnings and that's that's giving them the benefit of the doubt of all the adjustments they make to mm. it um you could argue those earnings are depressed in this current environment and, and perhaps they they can expand over time but i agree with mark you turn to the balance sheet and, and the debt has now crept up for three periods in a row um I, you, you really want to see that going the other way um so look i, I think you know as i said management a saying the right things potentially doing the right things. You saw a write down to, you know, the value of Spotless, which I think they've now come out and basically said that was a bit of a dud of an acquisition. Um, a bit like Pendle and Perpetual, I think this is one you just had to give it time, Koshi. Um, mm. it, probably another six, nine months to see how this turnaround, you know, really comes through. And in particular, how that balance sheet gets repaired. I, I suspect we'll see some more assets, spinoffs, asset sales, and that debt paid down a little bit. So, um, look, I'd, I'd probably... Actually, no. I'll probably sell it if you're there. I, I don't see a, I don't see a compelling reason to stay there in the meantime. Yep. Um. But I think it's one worthy of, you know, keeping on your watch list. There is a, there is a business and a brand here. We know what Downer can be in its heyday. Um. And there is a chance you can get back to that over time. But I, I still think that's probably a good six, twelve months away.
2: Okay. All right. Let's go to uh, Sims now. Uh, Luke Farrow wants a view. On the big uh, global metal and electronics recycling company, when commodity prices were going through the roof during COVID, so it was Sims Metal. As uh, supply chain issues were, were a problem in shipping metals out, so start recycling. That was the heyday. Uh, will it come back?
3: Well, Sim's management will be hoping it does. That's, <laughs> um, they had a pretty, a pretty tough report. I think um, profits were down sixty odd percent from that FY '22 peak, and and that's a cyclical business. And to be honest, I, again, a bit like Dana, I, I really struggled to get enthused when I read this report. Um, and and to me, it just and particularly with that chart overlaid, like um, it's not like the price has bottomed out along with the results. I think the market's expecting a pretty quick recovery, which management sort of flagged that conditions aren't too bad, um, and particularly over that medium longer term, they expect things to recover. But when I, I jotted down, like you know how difficult it is to run a cyclical business. So Sims Metal, um, the volume through the business only fell two percent, the pricing fell ten percent. Um, but profits fell sixty six. Wow! To, like, that, thats its wow. so difficult that's a to big run these leverage, business. isn't yeah. it? Leverage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, leverage the wrong way, yeah, 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 the wrong way, yeah. And mostly that's because because of that record FY twenty two, the cost base had to go with it, and yeah. so that elevated cost base was in place as the the revenue falls. Um, so again, eighteen times earnings. If I had a view that those earnings could pick up, you know, pretty quickly back to where they were, you know, cyclical businesses sometimes can look or sorry can be cheap even though they're on optically high earnings because those earnings can be so quick to move either direction uh, but I, I actually don't have much faith that they recover because like I said it wasn't like pricing fell off to a huge degree 10% fall in, in, in the pricing of, of the you know and um, commodity of, of the recycled metal to me doesn't suggest we're in like a bottomed out cyclical market that will bounce back quite quickly so yeah. this is another one i probably exit and and okay. it's on the sidelines.
2: Um Mark, what do you think of um, Sims? Uh, it's, it's, it's that, that number those numbers that Luke were talking about just shows you, is yeah, yeah, yeah. You could get leverage up
1: and down. Yeah, but it's worse going down. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's the problem is it's the it's the it's a labour-intensive, well, it's a capital-intensive business. Yeah, that's the problem. Yep. So, whereas you look at the fund management industry as, a, as an exact comparison, very low capital. Right. And then, then when things yep. go well, you make heaps of money. Right. But when, th- when things go badly, like even Magellan with all their woes, they're still making good money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Whereas you know, in a company like this, you don't have to have a much of a uh, revenue hit right. to be b- making a loss. But look, it's overall, uh, it hasn't been a bad performance. It's actually done nine point six percent average over the last ten years. paid as dividends with 100% franking. So it's actually been okay for it. has been the best so far what we looked at on the numbers. It fails our filters though, particularly on uh, stability of earnings, which is only 8%, which we like 60 at least. Um, And return on capital is 5.5, we have a minimum 10. So what that means is at the moment, they are returning 5% on the capital in the business, which is pretty woeful. Right, okay. Uh, It needs to be at least 10. So if you wanted to buy it on a margin of safety, Uh, And at the moment we're showing if you bought it now, you'd be losing, you'd lose 1.9% a year for the next five years. If you want to buy it and get at least a 10% on a margin of safety, which is what I would want if I was going to even look at it, it's $8.67. And it's currently um, 15 or something. Right. So it's a long way away from- It's got a halve. Yeah. And the PE at the moment is on the top of the red for them. So uh, it needs to be a lot cheaper if you, even if you're going to think about it. And I suppose if I owned it, I'd be more likely to be a seller, I think. Okay.
2: All right, um, Ren wants a view mark on Ansel, uh which was always seen as being a, a solid performer over the years. Uh, made hay uh, during COVID because they supply protective gloves and body wear in the healthcare industry, yeah. um, but probably uh, made too much and are trying to get rid of the backlog as uh, we all say, COVID what
1: now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was like we were looking at Sonic the other day. Yeah, yeah, and and their earnings, have been, you know, doubled, yeah, doubled. Know, through COVID, <laughs> straight been, back
2: down, back down to normal. So you
1: can't, you've got to take that out. You can't leave yes. it, put that into your equations because yeah. that was a one-off. Are they getting through? Ansell had the same. Ansell yeah, um, Ansel have jumped up significantly. You know, their earnings pre-COVID were $1.79. They went up to two dollars fifty-five, two dollars fifty-four, yeah. and now they're back down to $1.70. dollar seventy. <laughs> So, yeah. so and they have, gave yeah. a
2: bit of a profit warning six weeks ago, didn't they? That's
1: right, um, that's right. So at the moment it's on a 13.5 PE for ANSOL, that is in the bottom quartile yep. of their PE range. So that's a good good. Uh, we're showing it returning about 12% a year at the current price on default and 4.3 on a margin of safety. So mm-hmm. nothing exciting. And the other right. thing it fails on return on capital at 7.3. Okay. So uh, we, it wouldn't get up on our filters, so we wouldn't right. even look at it. Five year,
2: yep, five year lower, Luke.
3: Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because I agree with your point. I think Ancel has proven to be one of the better run businesses over the long term. Um, COVID caused a lot of problems for them. And, and the main one is, um, you know, the, the, it's termed the whip effect through supply chains where uh, you have all these parties through the supply chain from the end user to um, manufacturer, distributors, and particularly around the world. And when the points in that supply chain supply chain aren't really talking to each other, Um, You know, small changes in demand at the front end can really cause big impacts to supply at the back end. And that's what's caught Ansel by surprise. Um, As you said, Koshi, the longer this has dragged on over the last probably 12 months, um, Ansel more and more are realizing that at the distributor level around the globe, there is a lot more inventory than what they expected to be there. Um, And of course, that's meaning that that is having to be filled out to the end customer. And the orders coming back to Ancel as a manufacturer are much lower than expected. So they're trying to to, to right-size this mismatch that's occurred um, because of COVID. You had that big, big demand up front. Mm. Supply tries Mm. to catch up, but of course, demand's now down, and you have this big backlog in the middle. And the other one as well, which Ansel, again, I, I feel a bit sorry for management, but they actually ramped up their capex plans back in FY21 to bring some new factories online. And of course, now have to complete that capex just as demand's falling off. So, yeah. long story short, yeah, downgraded this year's. Um, guidance six weeks ago, but then what disappointed the market um, only the other uh, last week was outlook for FY24 was quite weak as well. And, and management, again, I give them credit. I think they're quite honest. They give you a lot of detail in their presentations and I think they they think quite rationally about capital allocation and the business. Um, they're flagging that you probably won't see the the turnaround in Anselm until FY25. And I don't, I'm not surprised the market has sort of sold this, moved on and will likely come back later. I think for Brave investors Investors, you know, you can maybe start to dip the toe in. Uh, I, I do agree; that it's a good long-term business, and I think it will come back and have its day again. Uh, but you have to be brave because I think, right. in the meantime, there's still a lot of uncertainty, and management—they're telling you that—that's the—that's the problem. So, look, okay. let's say hold slash. This is a genuine speculative buy. This is this is an exotic.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't call it exotic. Uh, it's, it, the, other right. thing too, the other thing too is on 4.29 average for the ten years per okay. year, which All is right. just—it's just very mediocre. Okay, so it's not a capital killer. But it's a mediocre company. So, will we class it a brave buyer? Not for me. No. I'll, <laughs> Luke, be, I'll, be, I'll be a. Uh, uh, Luke, rather a brave, than brave Rather than even being brave, I'll just not buy it or sell it.
2: Right, okay. <laughs> uh, Luke, final one. We'll need to skip through this because we're running out of time. Shira wants a view on Telex Pharmaceuticals, a bio pharmaceutical company with, um, with drugs and therapies mainly in the cancer area.
3: Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be quick, Koshi. This, this one's a pretty clear hold. Um, like, like a lot of these biotechnology companies, it, it's hard for me to offer too much to the viewers. But when I look at it, again, the market cap, uh, $3.2 billion. So there's a lot to live up to. Nonetheless, um, 21% quarter-on-quarter growth driven by the um, the prostate cancer product they have in the market um, and generating free cash, you know, about, about 9, 10 mil for the quarter. Um, so growing fast cash you know plenty plenty of cash and generating excess cash i can see why the market's excited um if you're asking me you know does it have the pipeline of drugs to continue that excitement and what's the addressable market for the product that's where i sort of get lost a little bit you know i'd probably just fall back to a hole but nonetheless well run and i can't fault management they've brought a product to, to market and it's doing quite well
1: Wow. Yeah, it's um, it's actually a return. Interestingly, is uh, from since two eighteen, so five years, has been sixty five percent a year. Wow! Because now that's not on earnings though, but that's obviously the market's liked it. But yeah, yeah. you know now, as uh, as Luke said, they are now generating a profit. But there's a big price to live up to now with uh, three billion market cap. Yeah. So whether I have no idea whether they, that'll happen or not, it's just too hard. Yep. Okay. It's, a, it's absolutely specialised And, that, and that's a, the point you always make as well, isn't it? Circular that, competence.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're only it's after 20, 20, 20 stocks in your portfolio, right. you, you go for ones that you can understand and it's an easy return. Well, otherwise, years,
1: you, otherwise, you're just guessing or you're buying on faith. Yep, yeah. No, we'll, well, hope it's not a good strategy, is
2: it? No, exactly. All right. Let's recap the final five stocks uh, sell from both Luke and Mark on block. Uh, Sims is a sell from Luke and no from Mark. He'd be interested at around $8.67, which is about half the price it is today. Uh, Ansel, uh, a hold from Luke. Um, a brave buy maybe if you're interested because it's a well-run company uh, a no from Mark and uh, Telex a hold from Luke and a no from Mark as well Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital always great to have you aboard, board sir thank you kindly thanks gents likewise Mark Lawland from Team Invest Thank to see you, you. alright if you've got any stocks you want us to uh, put to our expert panels uh, go to osbiz.co forward slash picks or tweet them to us here at at, at TV is the handle. More of the call same time tomorrow. See you then. Planning for your next trip?